What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today, I had a special guest on the show. It's been a while. I've been traveling a lot, and I haven't had the chance or the opportunity uh, to do a lot of guest appearances. And so we came back with a bang. This was an amazing conversation. I had Joelle Samantha on the show, who is just a wealth of knowledge. Um, and and just we're in alignment on so many things, you guys. If you've been listening to me, you'll laugh at just some of the similarities in the language that we use, the way that we describe things. So it was really cool to hear that from somebody else's perspective to you know at least know that I'm not totally crazy little bit crazy, but not totally crazy. Uh, but this was a really fun conversation because we got to go into you know, some of the consequences of chronic dieting and then how to snap out of that and how to properly restore homeostasis. And I know that is something that I struggled with for a long time and a lot of you have struggled with and still struggle with today. So I think this is going to be um, you know, a really important episode to possibly listen to multiple times to really understand what's going on with your metabolism, with your body, and most importantly, how to fix it. So you guys can just jump in, give it a listen, share this on Instagram. If you appreciate the interview, you can tag both of us. You can tag Joel at Joel Samantha, and you can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner to share it to your stories. Give us both the tag. Let us know that you enjoyed the episode. And as always, if you can leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I am joined today by a very special guest. It's funny because there's sometimes you're like connected with people through mutual friends and we, you know, we both know Sam Miller and Rico and we have all these different kind of connections to each other. And then I was like, I can't believe I've never had Joelle Samantha on the podcast. So finally, now that I'm like 200 episodes deep, I apologize for the delayed invitation, but better late than never. So thank you so much for joining. That's okay. I'm happy to be here. Rico and I were talking about it the other day. We're like, there's like six degrees of separation with everyone in the fitness industry. Like we all know each other somehow. And I was telling him that I was going to be on your podcast. He was like, no way. I love Mike. Um, So it it was a long time coming, I guess. (laughs) Definitely. definitely. Um, Well, I'm I'm glad to have you on because I know that with your personal story and everything that you put out, your content is amazing. My audience is going to really just completely geek out on this episode. Um, So let's just jump in with where it all began for you. Like start from the beginning, how you even got into the fitness industry and some of like your, you know, your Mm -hmm. personal journey and, and just how we got to present day, Joelle. Yeah, sure. So I'll try not to bore you because it's like, uh, it's about 10 years worth of (laughs) how we started versus where we are now. Um, But relevant background, at least that I'll give you. Um, I was an athlete growing up, you know, I always Um, admired health and fitness and was passionate about it in some capacity. Um, My dad was also a bodybuilder. I grew up, you know, being that kid that was in like gym daycare because my parents would go work out. So it was, you know, no, um, no, I was no stranger to health and fitness um, and growing up in a healthy household. Um, And eventually I went to college and, uh, you know, continued to eat like, a high school, you know, cross country runner who was eating, you know, a lot of junk and a lot of crap, but running a lot of mileage, um, where, you know, that food quote unquote, never caught up with me, so to say. Um, and then I went to college and I kept those same eating habits, but stopped running 10 miles a day. Cause I was no longer a high school cross country runner. And magically it's 
you know, almost like caloric expenditure and caloric intake means something. Um, so eventually started to gain a lot of weight my freshman year of college. Um, went home that summer and was like, none of my clothes fit. I got to get back to exercising. I haven't been exercising. Like I've always exercised. What am I doing? Um, so my journey kind of started rather innocently. It was kind of like, Hey, I noticed that my shorts don't fit. And I, I recognize that I haven't been running as much. So let me get back into that. It never started from this like place of self-hate or self-loathing. Like it truly was like, Hey, I want to, I want to be the in shape girl that I always was. Um, and I lost that a little bit freshman year. Um, so like probably many other people in the fitness industry, sometimes when we start a process, we dive in a little too hard on that process. And so, you know, you take an 18 year old kid that's Googling like how to get abs this summer and what are you going to find? Um, and again, this was also, I mean, uh, this was about 10 years ago. So fitness 10 years ago was even more different than fitness now. Um, and what we, you know, see when we Google things now, we see a lot more myth busting than we used to. Um, and so then it was, you know, no carbs, no sugar, no fruit, no egg yolks, no sodium, no cholesterol, no anything. Um, and I took that to the extreme. Um, and so the pendulum kind of swung a little bit too far and, and I ended up, uh, what's kind of known now as orthorexia, which is the obsession with clean eating um, and over-exercising. And so it was a few years of kind of being in this uh, darker side of fitness, which at the time I didn't think was bad. I, of course, thought it was super healthy. Like, yeah, all I eat is vegetables and protein. And like, I work out a ton, like that's good for me. And anyone that tried to tell me otherwise, I was like, well, I have the six pack and you don't. So like, who's wrong here? Um, there was like this cockiness that came with it. It was Looking back, I'm like, what was wrong with you? But there was something wrong with me, right? So um, eventually, um, I started sharing basically that journey on Instagram. And I started sharing my ab workouts here and there and my, you know, meals here and there. And people enjoyed it. I, it was kind of my own diary at the time, you know, 10 years ago, Instagram was just like, you shared a random photo. Um, so I'd like post a picture of an apple. How exciting. Um, and people followed along. They, they started enjoying watching my fitness journey. And, and I was always like, ah, that's, that's cool. I guess I'll keep talking about it. I'll keep posting about it. Um, so that's kind of, uh, where the fitness journey started, where the Instagram journey started. Um, and then eventually it, you know, my journey just transformed over the years from eating disorder to recovering from that eating disorder to uh, becoming a bodybuilding.com athlete. And so, you know, needing to be photo shoot ready, you know, pretty much at the second you got an email, like, Hey, we need you guys out here, you know, in the next four weeks to shoot. Um, so there was always like, there were years where I was never really taking myself much out of a deficit. I was really one of those people that was staying too lean year round um, and had come to believe that that was just kind of my build. I never really thought about and no one was really talking about the de the detriments of that or the, the cost of staying lean year round. Um, you know, you see all your kind of like fitness icons and fitness role models who are just these, you know, lean ripped jacked people and jacked women um, that have a ton of muscle density and a ton of leanness. And I was still under that like 
you know, that, that thought process of, you know, the leaner I am, the more muscular I'll look, but was never really taking that time to grow muscle and have that look. Um, and long story short, years went by and that eventually caught up with me, that kind of chronic dieting caught up with me. And, um, I eventually, uh, started really realizing that my, uh, my really wanted to start a family. We wanted to start a family. Um, my husband and I wanted to, uh, soon after our marriage, start trying for babies. And, uh, so I thought, okay, about, we're, we're probably about a year out from trying, I'm going to go off birth control and, uh, and make sure that, you know, just get my cycle regular. And then we could start trying for kids next year. Well, I went off birth control, nothing happened. Um, no period came back, no cycle came back. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, I know, I know it might take a few weeks. So like three months go by, still no cycle. I go, I get blood work. They're like, oh, your lab work looks fine. Just give it a little bit more time. Now I'm six months post pill, still no cycle. Um, I go and get lab work again. And they're like, oh, your testosterone's really high, your estrogen's really low, your progesterone is like postmenopausal, non-existent, your cortisol's super high, all these just, just different lab markers. And at the time, I really didn't know much about uh, reproductive hormones and the thyroid and cortisol. And, you know, that, that launched me into that realm very quickly, you know, that deep dive into like, well, now I'm going to learn as much as possible about all of this. And so now I'm very well briefed on those things, but at the time I really didn't know what any of it meant, you know, and that, that, uh, was what I started reaching out to Sam, like, help, help me. I don't, I don't know what any of this means. Um, and so, uh, Eventually, you know, we came to the conclusion that probably my years of chronic dieting, along with suppressing my own natural hormone production for so long, you know, from being on the on hormonal birth control, um, you know, there's there's no signaling like HPA axis. There's no signaling from like brain to ovaries to be like, hey, you're supposed to be doing something every month. Um, and I really, until that point, had. I hadn't done a true, solid, stick to it, reverse diet. And I knew it was needed. Um, and like most women, I was hesitant. Like I have always had this really lean build and what's going to happen when I start reversing? Am I going to gain all this weight? Um, and so what started to happen anyway, before I even started the reverse was weight gain started happening. Um, and you know, we see this happen with, with gut health. We see this happen with inflammation. We see this happen with kind of wonky sex hormones where we're trying to diet and nothing's moving, or we think we're at maintenance calories, but the scale's going up. And so something was just kind of fishy there. And I was like, I probably just got to bite the bullet, probably got to bite the bullet and do the reverse diet. And, uh, and so I started reversing and I dedicated a year and a half, um, really, really between a year and a half and two years to keeping myself out of a deficit. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> I gained about 30 pounds. Um, I didn't fit in any of my clothes. And here I was as a health coach, right. In the industry feeling like, are people still going to want to hire me? Are people still going to listen to what I have to say? Because now here I'm this health professional that has gained 30 pounds and looks like 
maybe she doesn't have it together. And so mentally, it was really hard. Physically, it was really hard. Uh, Business wise, you know, I felt like I was in a pickle. Um, But after a year and a half, 18 months into this, that first cycle came back. So it took me 18 months post pill um, and 18 months of eating more for that cycle to return. So, so for anyone that's missing a cycle, understand it might take a hot minute. Um, you know, I think it's really easy for women to like start that reverse dieting process. And then, uh, you know, with that, with that end goal, you know, maybe in mind if they have a missing cycle or something like that. Uh, but then you get, you know, call it three months in and you're like, it's not back yet. This isn't working. And you're like, it is working, but you need longer. Um, so it was definitely a lesson learned in that sense. And so, uh, then I wanted to be cycling for like several months. I wanted to see a, you know, a normal cycle before we started trying for our family. And so I waited till I was about a year into normal monthly, you know, 28 day cycles every month, like clockwork. And then we started trying and conceived month one. So as we are recording this, I'm 31 weeks pregnant, roughly. Um, so it's it's been a journey. So I'm sorry if that was a little long-winded. That's, that's the backstory from kind of eating disorder um, and uh, hormone issues. I did get diagnosed with PCOS along the way, um, which is a stress-driven diagnosis. Um, we think about all those symptoms. And, uh, and now we're pregnant and I'm, 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 I'm on the other side of it in some capacity. Um, so hopefully that, that covers all of our bases there. Now it's a, it's an amazing story. I'm so glad that you um, painted that, that context because a lot of times we just see the final product or like current day. And, and I, I find that with myself, like I always try to retell the old stories because somebody might look at me and think like, oh, he's just always been fit or that's just a natural thing. And it's been far from natural and it's been far from normal. And there's been a lot of twists and turns along the way. Uh, One of the things that you talked about with orthorexia, you know, I tell a story where my sister is actually a eating disorder therapist. She specializes in, in eating disorders and had lunch with me one day and was like, have you ever heard of orthorexia? And and it's funny because your response about, oh, I'm just being healthy because I'm eating vegetables and fruits and protein. That was my exact defensive response was like, why can't I just be healthy? And I didn't realize that I had a problem. And I was like, well, physically I looked the part. So I'm curious from your perspective, what was like the moment where you found kind of the disconnect between what you assume to be healthy, looking at it purely from a physical perspective to maybe some of these behaviors aren't so healthy. Maybe I'm actually like, was there any sort of one moment that sticks out or was it kind of a progression along the way where you're like, all right, now I'm starting to see some evidence accumulate that I might've thought about this the wrong way. Yeah. So I think there were two kind of um, pivotal moments, if you will. One is kind of a, a funny, just personal story in that birthdays are a really, really big deal in my house. My parents always made a big deal of birthdays. My mom made a birthday cake, homemade birthday cake every you know year for my brother and I. And in the depths of this orthorexia, um, my mom made me a birthday cake one year and I refused to touch it. I would not even take a bite. And I remember it sent my mom into tears. And there was something about that moment that was like, hmm, this isn't just affecting me. It's also affecting my loved ones. Like why is my choice to not eat cake that 
serious. And it really made me look introspectively and, and look inward to be like, what? Why is this such an issue? Is this an issue? Have I thought about this the wrong way? Um, and I was so convinced, like, I didn't want cake. Like, I didn't want something like that in my body, right? Something filled with sugar and fat and whatever. And um, I think that was one really pivotal moment for me. Um, the other thing was that um, until that point, macros was like not really a thing yet. It was very like the, the bro clean eating, you know, tilapia and asparagus diet. Um, there wasn't a lot of talk of flexible dieting yet. It was, it was starting to come up in the upcoming years. Um, but I had started working with a coach, um, in probably like 2011 or 2012. Um, and it was actually like, if we think about like way, way long ago in terms of Instagram sponsorships, like there was no such thing as like an influencer or anything back then. You had like sponsored athletes here and there of companies, but it wasn't what it is now. Um, and there was a coaching company that reached out to me and this guy was like, Hey, would you let me coach you for free? And like, you'd be a sponsored athlete for my company, like essentially for his coaching skills. Um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. And so this man started coaching me and he was who introduced me to tracking macros. And it was something I had never really heard of. And he kind of, you know, started with the bare basics of like, look, if these are your calories and you could technically fit a pop tart into them, you wouldn't gain weight. And I was like, what? Like it went against everything I ever knew. Right. When we talk to people about like, oh, it's about calories in calories out. And, you know, you can't gain weight if you're in a deficit, you know, where you, even if it's a brownie or ice cream or whatever, that was such a mind blowing concept to me at the time. And I was like, you're telling me I could have a bowl of ice cream, fit it into my carbs and fats for the day. And it will not make me fat. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's how the body works. And I was mind blown. And that was a huge, huge thing for me because it significantly changed my relationship with food. Once I realized that it wasn't really about the type of food that was going to necessarily cause weight gain. Now you and I know that there's great, great value in micronutrients and eating a nutrient dense diet. But at the time, um, just hearing that was a massive like switch in my relationship with food for sure. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I had that same type of moment. And then I actually talked about this on the last episode and I went like hard in the, in the other direction where it was like, I'm going to fit all of the shit. Into Everything. My, and then yeah. I started to feel like shit because, but I got leaner and I had abs and it was like, that, that was like my rebellious phase. And then I had to find the middle ground, which is often the most difficult to live in where we, where we need to be in the middle in the gray area, but had to uh, kind of take the circuitous route to get there. Um, I'm curious if you notice like any red flags in how you felt because going through that, you know, typically we talk about biofeedback and monitoring things like your cycle regularity and, and your, your mood and your energy levels and things like that. Um, as you had been going through this chronic deficit that you weren't necessarily aware of, um, and then coming off the pill, getting blood work done and noticing like, okay, testosterone's really high, estrogen's really low, progesterone is non-existent. Like, did you feel anything that maybe you were just like, oh, this is normal, or looking back where you're like, wow, I ignored some major red flags. Like talk oh about my that. Gosh, yeah, for sure. I mean, 
there's so many things that you're like, well, this is just me. Like if you, if you have no background knowledge about X, Y, or Z, you're like, oh, that's just how I am. Like other people have that. I have this, whatever. So, you know, looking back, I'm like, I had no libido, like zero sex drive. And I just thought like, I guess that's not me. Like, I guess I just don't really have a sex, you know, a high sex drive or like not super into it. Um, so that was a nice perk of, of having some hormones run through my body again. Um, but I would say that was a major one. Um, there were also things like, you know, my nails were really brittle and my hair was always falling out. And I just thought like, that's just me. Like my hair just falls out all the time. I have really weak nails, you know, like that's, that's just me. Uh, that's just how my body functions. Um, and I think over time you start to learn like, no, those things are not normal. You know, I always had like random aches and pains, always super injury prone. And again, like, that's just me. Like I just, I, you know, will stumble over myself and sprain an ankle. Like it happens all the time that it's just me. I'm, I'm clumsy. Right. But really it was like, I was undernourished, uh, not getting enough nutrients. My, you know, bones, joints, ligaments, things were weak. My bone density was really, really low. I'll never forget. Cause I, I, my master's was in exercise science and when I took an undergrad exercise science class, pretty much still in the depths of this eating disorder, I remember I got a DEXA scan. And so that looks at your bone density, body fat, everything. And I had a professor keep me after class one day and he was like, you have really low bone density. And I was like, that's interesting. Cause at the time I'm strength training a ton, right? This is like bodybuilder mind, Joel. And, uh, and he's like, you know, do, do you do any strength training? And I'm like, yeah, like I'm, I'm lifting six days a week. What do you mean? My bone density is not good. And he was like, you know, do you eat dairy? Do you eat a lot of calcium? And I'm like, I drink, you know, three whey protein shakes a day. Like, how could it be that my bone density was low? Like, and he was like, well, maybe it's a genetic, you know, he wasn't going to sit there and be like, well, you probably have an eating disorder or, you know, at the time it was called like the female athlete triad. Now we see it known as red S, but that's really, you know, what it was and what it came down to. And so it went as far as him saying, look, let's see if this is a genetic thing. And then let's bring in your mom and see her bone density. And so we brought my mom in. He did a DEXA scan on my mom just so we could see. And my mom's bone density at 50 years old was better than mine at, you know, 23 or 22, however old I was, 20 years old. I was still an undergrad. Yeah. So probably around 20. Um, and I remember that being like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if that's related to my calorie consumption and my workout frequency and intensity. And so that was also like one of those kind of pivotal moments of like, Oh shit, this is affecting my health. I think I'm doing all the right things and being healthy, but there are things presenting themselves that are starting to appear as red flags to me that, um, some of them I recognized at the time, most of them, I would say I recognized not until I was out of it. Like a lot of times you don't realize that something was a symptom until where you don't realize how bad you felt until you feel better now. And then you're like, wow, is this what feeling good looks like? Like, I didn't think I felt bad before, but now that I feel good, Ooh, this is a lot better. Um, and so there was a lot of that just like kind of throughout that journey. Yeah. I, I remember thinking the same thing. Like for me, 
digestive issues. That was a big one. Yes, digestion was a big one. That, that's just how I am. That's just how I was made. And that's that's normal. And then when you feel better, you're right. You think back and you're like, man, I can't believe I functioned that long. Yeah. Um, the brain fog, the fatigue, all of that. Um, so, and you mentioned that you were diagnosed with PCOS. I'm, I'm convinced that I, um, through my chronic dieting years that I gave myself hypothyroidism because I never had a problem. I always, my metabolism was yeah. like fine, no issues with blood work. And then through years of chronic dieting, then naturally my thyroid got jacked up and, and here we are. So um, let's talk about like some of the consequences. And, and this obviously could be a conversation that goes in a million different ways, but some of the metabolic adaptations that occur, what are we looking for when we are in this constant state of deprivation, when we're eating significantly less than we should be? Um, what do we start to see hormonally? What are some of the red flags? And like, we'll start there because then I want to get into the actual application of reverse dieting and and how to try to mitigate some of that and get to the other side, what, what you've been able to do for yourself. Um, but let's talk about it from, a, you know, what's the cost? Uh, some of the costs that we start to notice. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's interesting, Mike, that you brought up hypothyroid because um, I've actually talked about this on, on my page a bit that PCOS and hypothyroid almost have this like weird overlap because they're both stress induced, right? And so, you know, in your case, your hypothyroid, you're like, how could my thyroid probably when you were diagnosed or you notice these lab levels, you're like, how could my thyroid be wonky? Like, how could I have a hypothyroid, have a slow metabolism, right? I've worked out forever. I've eaten right. Um, how could that be? Um, and the best way I like to describe this, and, and I use this example a lot with PCOS, is our bodies are just really, really protective of us. Um, and I think a lot of times people think, you know, my body's fighting me. I'm trying to lose weight and it's fighting me. And we're like, no, your body's protecting you. And I think it's such an important uh, message for people to hear and learn and understand is that when you are trying to diet and nothing is moving and you're like, my body's fighting me, my body's fighting me. It's usually a sign that your body doesn't feel safe and it's doing this. It's not letting you lose weight, quote unquote, as a means of protection. Um, and it's not doing anything wrong. Your metabolism's not broken it's supposed to do this, right? Metabolic adaptation is a process that's going to happen and should happen with a healthy functioning metabolism. Um, and that's to keep you from starving, essentially. And so when the body is not getting what it needs in terms of calories, in terms of energy, in terms of nutrients, and it feels too stressed, essentially, um, different processes are going to downregulate in the body as a means for the body to conserve energy. And so when that kind of energy conservation happens, there's a lot of downregulation happening in the body. Um, we start to see more gut issues. We start to see thyroid issues. We start to see sex hormones downregulate because the body says, hey, we just want to survive. So let's kind of like shut down and shuttle less blood and less energy to these areas that are not really main priority. For instance, if I'm really, really stressed and my body is perceiving that, right? And we have to remember when we say I'm really, really stressed, I don't just mean work stress. I mean, dieting is a stressor. Your training is a stressor. The sleep quality or sleep amounts that you're getting is a stressor, your mental stress. So 
anytime you hear me refer to stress in this chat, understand I don't just mean, you know, you're, you're, you have a, a project due at work. Um, stress is, yes, mental, but I think a lot of people in the fitness industry miss that stress is your caloric intake and you chronically dieting or you over-exercising, you under-recovering, those are stressors. So if our bodies are perceiving this immense stress, prime example is I like to say sex hormones, for instance, are a luxury. They're like a, hey, we're going to fire along normally as long as the body feels safe and healthy enough to make a baby and carry a child. And so a prime example that we see, you know, in terms of practical application of stress being really high, we see women lose their periods. Why? Because the body says, hey, you're stressed. Um, This is a dangerous situation. We're perceiving high stress and high danger. Your body doesn't know like there's food in your fridge. It doesn't know there's a grocery store down the street. Um, It just perceives that stress. So it says, whoa, you're really stressed. This would not be a healthy environment. Um, or a successful environment for you to carry a baby full term and have a child and bring them into this environment. So we're going to downrate, you know, downregulate the reproductive side of things. Let's kind of shut off estrogen for now, shut off the ovaries for now. So we're not releasing any eggs so that you don't get pregnant because it it seems like this would be too stressful in an environment for you. Um, So sometimes what we mentally want the body, like, the body's like, Hey, no, I know better. I, I know better than, and I know what you need right now. Um, so that, that same thing essentially happens with the thyroid. And that's where we see that, that down regulation as well from chronic stress. Yeah. And, and it's so, it's such an important concept. It's funny. We, we speak the same language. Cause I talk about that all the time with like, just reframing it from your body's not fighting against you. It's trying to protect you. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So you should probably listen because if you try and fight that battle, it's a losing battle every time. And it's almost like we have to eventually get to the point where we realize by giving the body what it needs, then we get what we want. Uh, if we try and force the issue, uh, that's that's never going to end favorably. So uh, another thing that we see is is the immune system. Like your body is going to preserve energy where it can, and that's a very costly process, right? It takes a lot of energy to have a well-functioning immune system. So it's like, okay, let's suppress that, downregulate that. And that's why we see people who get sick more often when they're dieting, um, all the things that you mentioned. So it's like just being able to reframe that as, okay, something's happening here and things aren't moving the way that I want them to, rather than trying to push harder, right? That's That was always my my mentality was like, I hit this plateau, I'm doing everything right, nothing's working. Let me train two days, two days, um, twice a day. Let me, yeah. Let me add an hour of cardio. Exactly. Let me just ratchet it up a notch and that never ended well. Um, so I think that from that perspective, right, pay attention to those signals and, and understand what they mean. Um, but then how do we start to back out of that when we finally get to the point, because, you know, I'm just assuming that everybody else is stubborn like me and we've spent years trying to, to, you know, climb that uphill battle that that's yeah. a losing battle. So we, we finally get to the point of understanding, okay, I see some, some red flags. Um, I don't feel great. There's, there's some obvious signs that I need to start eating more, reduce, like closing that stress gap. That's kind of what I, I always use like the, the water analogy, right? We have all those stressors that you mentioned. Yeah. It's like draining water from our bucket. Then we have a lot of things that can add water to the bucket, like eating enough and eating quality foods and going for a walk and sleeping enough and managing our stress. So um, how can we add more water to the bucket? So talk about like the application of 
all right, I'm at this point where I've been dieting for a really long time and I finally understand that I probably need to reverse diet. Like what's the, what's the expectation or the expected or ideal outcome? And how do we go about just implementing that process and hopefully getting over the fear of eating more and that it's immediately going to you know, mean uh, I'm going to gain a bunch of weight and, and be uncomfortable? Right, right. So I think there's a few kind of key aspects here. One, like you just said, Mike, we have to um, add or remove things from the bucket. So something that I would always suggest is make a list of all the things that you think are stressing you and or your body out. Then let's separate that list into things we can control and things we can't control. Um, And I bring that up because we talk about this with clients and sometimes we say like, hey, we really need to work on stress management. And they're like, look, I have three kids. I'm always going to be stressed. And we're like, okay, well, we can't do anything about the three kids, but we can do something about X, Y, and Z. So we totally understand as coaches, you know, Mike and I, that there are going to be things in your life that aren't necessarily in your control, um, that do stress you out. And that's such is life, right? But something that we do always have control over is our training and our nutrition. And so those are two major things that typically have to be toggled if we want to kind of, like Mike said, reverse ourselves out of this down regulation that we're seeing or some of the symptoms that we're feeling or the diagnoses, you know, that we've been uh, provided with. And so, you know, how I like to explain it in terms of reverse dieting is, first of all, there's three possible outcomes. Not everyone gains weight in a reverse diet. Um, Some people maintain their weight in a reverse diet. Some people do gain weight in a reverse diet. Hell, I always do. If I had some secret trick to tell you that you would lose weight in a reverse, I would give it to you. I gained 30 pounds last time I did a reverse. So like, I don't have any secret tricks for you. Um, It's usually dependent on how long you were actually in a deficit for, um, you know, what other stressors and inflammation are like, how hard you're training in the gym, things like that. Um, But some people gain, some people lose, um, and some people maintain. So don't get too, you know, concerned about like, I'm going to gain all this weight. I also can tell you in the 10 years I've been coaching, I've never reverse dieted someone and made them gain 30 pounds. Yes, I did it to myself. Um, And it's kind of one of those things that like, I will do something on myself before I ever do it to someone else so that I can kind of be in that position. Um, So I also don't want to scare people when I say like, I gained 30 pounds. Like that was very intentional. I took myself there. Did I need to go that far, you know, in terms of calories and in terms of weight gain? I don't know. I'll never know, but I got my cycles back. So for, for me, that's, it, it worked in a sense. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing that someone has to commit to in starting a reverse is understanding uh, that it's going to be a process, that it's going to take time. Um, and typically, we like to see, you know, in terms of golden rule, I'm curious if you feel the same way, Mike, is I want to see someone reversing for at minimum the amount of time they spent dieting. And so for some women, they're like, oh, cool. I've, I've been dieting for six months. So cool. I'll reverse for six months. But for the women that are like, well, I've been dieting for 20 years. So do I have to reverse for 20 years? Um, not necessarily, but you are going to have to spend a good chunk of time out of a deficit. You know, we can't undo 10 years of dieting in 12 weeks. 
We just can't. Physiologically, we can't. Um, the body is not going to catch up that quickly. It would be lovely if it did. Um, but I think it's, you know, a big part is really just the mental hurdle of understanding that this process works. Like, it works. But it's going to take time and it might take a little bit more time than you want. Um, I typically like to see people out of a deficit, depending on how long they were in one. But I like to see people out of a deficit for six to 12 months. And one one of the things that I can say that some sometimes is comforting to people um, or scary to people, depending on how you look at it, is that the more time you spend out of a deficit, the better your body is going to respond to your next one. So if you take four four weeks out of a deficit, you're going to try to diet again. Your body's going to be like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Whereas if we spent eight months out of a deficit or a year out of a deficit, probably when we go try and diet again, body's going to be a lot more responsive. Um, so that's something I would keep in mind as well in that process. Yeah, it's almost like a metabolic memory. Right. Because yeah. if you've been dieting for so long and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm committed. And then 12 weeks go by and you're like, all right, I need to get this weight off. Now I'm jumping back into my deficit. Your body almost remembers like that feeling. No, and it's like, uh-uh. I remember this. You're not playing this trick on me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then you're right back to, okay, got to go back to the reverse. So I always tell people, I'm like, because some, you know, I know some clients get really curious and they're like, can we just try? Like, we've, we've been reversing for three months. Can we just try the deficit? And I'm like, look, if you really want, like, I'm not going to say no, we could try, but I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. And then we got to go back to reversing from where we dropped our calories to. So now we're like going backwards in our reverse when we have to restart it. Um, and then people are like, uh, okay, yeah, we'll just stick with the, <laughs> with the reverse. Exactly. Um, you know, and the other thing, Mike, that I think is important to touch on is, you can be done technically with a reverse potentially the more quickly you increase your calories. And so I find women specifically prefer the slow and steady route. Like let's take it slow. Let's keep weight gain as minimal as possible. Let's very much wait for weight to settle before we add more calories. But there's been other people, you know, other women that I've worked with, but I would say it's more so the men that are like, let's just like do the big jump, get it over with. Let's get there. I'm cool with eating more. Great. Um, So I also like to say that you do have a little bit of control over the speed in which you take your reverse. Um, You know, if you're trying to get to a caloric goal, a specific caloric goal, some time still is necessary out of that deficit. Um, But you could potentially take things a little bit quicker if you were willing to do that. But I think the the quickness is sometimes scary for people. Yeah, definitely. I think it helps to provide perspective when it feels like a long time. When you mention these timelines, six months, a year mm-hmm. for you, it was 18 months. And it's like, oh my God, do I really have to do that? And I like to try to zoom out a little bit and be like, what's your finish line? Is it forever? Because if you ideally are living, you know, a lot of times we work with women in their 40s, 50s, you know, ideally if you're living 60 more years and we take 12 months, now is that such an overwhelming timeline? That's nothing, right? So if we do this or the opposite, so this is like my my perspective on like helping people get over the fear. Like the, the opposite is you do what you've always done and you get what you've always got. So that's option A is keep doing what you're doing. And keep banging your head against the wall. Or option B is we commit to this and we do it a different way if you want a different outcome. Do you have any like mindset tricks or ways that you help people overcome the fear of 
A, eating more, and then B, do I really have to commit to that long of a timeline? Yeah. I think from from a timeline standpoint, you know, like you said, helping people recognize that, look, you've done it this way for 10 years, and it's why you signed up with a coach. So if we keep trying to do it your way, we're going to keep getting the results that you've gotten. So we have to try something different. And we haven't, this is right. People come to us and they're like, I've tried everything. And we're like, you've tried everything except eating. (laughs) So let's try that. And I get it because it sounds so counterintuitive to people. It sounded counterintuitive to us when we first learned about it, you know? So I do empathize with the struggle of wanting to just dive into this really unsettling sounding process because it goes against everything we ever thought about dieting and diet culture. Um, But the other thing that I think is really important um, is to just start. And I know that that sounds like, oh, easier said than done, Joelle, which I get, but I cannot tell you how many clients, Mike, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this as well. They start reversing. They were scared shitless. Hopefully I'm allowed to say that they were scared to hell on, you know, about starting and they get a few weeks in and they're like, Oh my gosh, I feel so good. I'm sleeping better than I've ever slept. I'm stronger than I've ever been. I'm PRing on my lifts every week. My digestion is better than ever. I have a libido back. I'm going to the bathroom every day. Like I find so often that people are so hesitant and then they get a few weeks in and they're like, wait, I actually feel really good. And so my advice would be like to just start and allow yourself to feel good, like allow yourself to feel some of the benefits. And it's, it's very often that the people that are still uh, recognizing those benefits like that, has their weight maybe gone up a little bit? Yeah. But they're like, okay, so my scale weight's up a pound or two, but like, I have daily bowel movements. I have a sex drive back and stronger than I've ever been. And my body composition is positively improving because now I'm finally gaining muscle. Like, and then you get to a point where like, who cares about the two pounds? So I urge people to just start and give yourself an opportunity to succeed because it might not be as bad as you actually think. Yeah. And and the irony of the whole thing is the more that you delay and the more you're like, no, I don't want to commit to that. I'm just going to try to lose the weight still and do what I've done. Like then you're expanding the timeline even longer. So to your point, when you just get started, you're condensing that timeline. You're, you're saving yourself time in the long run, um, even though it may not feel that way. But uh, it reminded me of, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, you don't have to see the, the whole staircase, just take the first step. Um, yeah. Absolutely applies. Um, so you started to touch on some of the things that we notice when going into that reverse, more energy, you know, you're, you're building muscle, you're sleeping better, your digestion's better. Like, what do you start to, you know, I guess, shift the perspective of, all right, we're going to take this time and we're really going to focus on how you feel. What are some of the things that you're looking for uh, to be able to show your clients like, hey, this is working, your body's responding exactly how we want it to. Like, what are some of those things that you try to highlight? Sure. So um, first of all, we like to get progress pictures because we know that the scale doesn't tell the whole story. So measurements and pictures are always really helpful from a body composition standpoint. Um, But very much in a reverse, you know, something that we are really working on with a lot of people um, is their mental health, um, the mental and emotional side of things, because so many of the people that need a reverse diet, 
often don't have great relationships with food or their bodies. Um, and they've always been really, really hyper-focused on the scale or their body composition. So during a reverse, while some people, you know, are seeing positive improvements in body composition, we really actually like to take the focus off of body recomp um, and instead focus on like, how are you feeling? Um, how is your sleep? How is your digestion? How is your menstrual cycle? Um, so for instance, we have clients report every week, um, non-scale victories. You have to tell us all your strengths of the week that have nothing to do with your body and the scale. Um, and so it's really fun to watch clients, you know, explore that territory of like complimenting themselves and recognizing their accomplishments outside of their physique. Um, even if they lost five pounds, nope, you don't get to talk about it in that box. So tell me an, another strength. Um, and those strengths might be related to their food choices. They might be related to um, you know, that they got a period that was on time, or it might be related to that. They had, you know, a bowel movement every single day. They've never had that before. Um, and so as you can see, we talk a lot about poop and periods at, <laughs> at level 10. Um, but those, you know, those are prime examples of, of what we're looking at. And so some of the other things that we're tracking from clients throughout their time with us we're looking at caffeine intake, we're looking at alcohol intake, we're looking at um, stress on a one to 10 scale daily, hunger on a one to 10 scale daily. And so even like hunger is something that we can look at that tells us a lot um, about someone's journey, both mentally and physically, you know, when we start feeding someone, um, wh what is their hunger like? Are they getting hungrier, you know, with the more calories we add? Um, it's, it's very, very often that people, uh, take note of in check-ins, I would say the newfound food freedom that they tend to have once we start increasing calories. Um, I think that's a really big one for people. They're like, wow, I like got to go out to eat with my spouse or my friends or my significant other. And I was like able to have some table bread or like have a margarita. And I know that it also still fit my macros and like, I've said no to so many things and so many social events. And now I'm saying yes to those things or yes to those social events or yes to the party or the food or whatever. So I think just really trying to take, you know, a, a large focus off of body comp in, um, in a reverse diet. And it doesn't mean your coach isn't looking at it. It just means it's not the main focus. And sometimes the other thing, Mike, that I think is helpful is sometimes instead of calling it a reverse diet, we call it a health phase or a recovery phase. And I think that helps people shift their mindset as well a little bit about like, you know, reverse diet, we get so hung up in like, so I'm going to add food and I'm going to gain all this weight versus like, let's call it a health phase, um, a recovery phase where our focus is just on improving your overall health and improving your thyroid and improving your sex hormones and whatever else. And then you like instantly kind of take that pressure off of yourself. I think that revolves around body recomp. Yeah. I love that. It's so funny. I, I knew that we had similarities, but as <laughs> continue talking, there's so many things that we're in. Like in we are the same. <laughs> it's like the, we call it metabolic priming. When we, when we're yeah. coaching our clients, we don't say reverse dieting, we say metabolic priming. And Part of that is to take the focus off of just food and make it about their metabolism as a whole and really stress balance. And that's what I always come back to. It's like your metabolism really, for all intents and purposes, is just a stress barometer. And it's kind of looking at all these different inputs and outputs. So now we can start to bring other 
things into the picture, like relationship with food. I'm so glad you went in that direction because for me, that is probably the most overlooked and underappreciated side effect of going through that process where we talked about the impacts of too much stress. Well, when you're not constantly obsessing about eating less and can I eat this? Does this fit? You know, is, is this going to derail me? All these different thoughts that add up over time. And, you know, some people are like, I don't remember the last time I didn't think about food or didn't upset. And all of that, that's like little micro stress, micro stress, and it adds up to a whole lot of stress. So when we start to shift that relationship with food, um, I think that that is one of the things where you can see it's like the weight lifted off that person's shoulders and all of a sudden, magically, their body starts responding a lot better. And, and I think that it's it's so connected. Um, as you can tell, that's something by, just by the name of the podcast, Mind Over Macros, something that I'm very passionate about and I feel like is um, it's just such an important part of it. Uh, so I'm really glad that you went in that direction. Um one of the things as we go through these health phases, metabolic priming, reverse diet, whatever you want to call it, we get to that point where, okay, biofeedback has stabilized. We, we feel like we've achieved this homeostatic balance. We're seeing all of the signals. The last thing that we want to do is jump into the same thing that got that person in that mess in the first place, which would be like, all right, now we're here. Finally, I can like go back into my deficit, start eating less and just hammer that deficit for way too long. So what are, so as we like start to wrap up here, like what are some ways that you help to prevent that from happening again and helping somebody through the process of doing it the right way? Sure. So I think that um, some of the most important aspects here to keep in mind are to just start small. Like if, if the 1200 calories put you, you know, in a dark place before in terms of your relationship with food and your thyroid, not in a good place or whatever else you got to remember, if we just, if we just reversed up to 2,500 calories and we're maintaining there, there is zero reason to, to start a cut and drop to 1200. So I very much, um, you know, work under the, the guise of like, you know, taking the, the least restrictive route, um, in terms of toggling things up or down. So if we're going to then start that next dieting phase, like let's not immediately, you know, drop calories by a thousand or, or sometimes let's not even drop them by 500. Let's start maybe with a 250 calorie deficit and see if that gets us out of our kind of maintenance range. If not, we can go from there, but maybe we only need 200 calories or 300 calories to get us out of that maintenance range. And how great would it be to lose weight on 2,200 calories instead of 1,200? So starting small, I think is really helpful. Same thing goes for cardio. Like if you want to add a little bit of cardio in, we don't need to add in seven days a week. It could be twice a week and that will, you know, increase your expenditure. Or maybe you take your, you know, step count from 8K a day to 10K a day. And that's something simple that, you know, is not necessarily uh, presenting itself as too restrictive. Um, but I think that, you know, the majority of people, luckily, that go through that whole reverse, they spent all that time doing that. I'm, I'm happy to say I, I think most people don't usually revert back to those old habits because they're like, I don't want to waste all the time I just spent reversing and getting myself out of this. So I would just say, you know, starting small is the biggest thing, you know, lowering, lowering calories a little. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way, Mike, in that 
we want to lose weight on the highest amount of calories possible. You know, we want to get to the physique that we want to achieve by doing as, as little as possible, which like sounds kind of funny, but it's one of those, just like, we got to work smarter and not harder situations. Yeah. And that just kind of, you know, circles back to sustainability more than anything else, because if you're having to get to 1200 calories to achieve that physical goal, uh, it's going to be really difficult to sustain that and and be anything but miserable through that process. So I think that that's really the the key, as you mentioned. Like nobody wants to go back there, especially when you start to feel better and you realize how you know you felt pretty shitty for so long. Like I don't want to go back to that place. So right. let's do everything we can to not go back there. And you also have to remember, you ended up needing whoever whoever you are that's listening. You ended up needing a reverse diet because you ran out of wiggle room. So we want to take as long as possible before we run out of wiggle room. So if we're starting at 2,500 calories, if we immediately drop to 1,200, we'd be out of wiggle room real quick because the body will eventually adapt. The metabolism will adapt and will quote unquote plateau. But we know that plateau is really just a normal adaptation that's supposed to happen, but we want as much wiggle room as we can. So if we start at that, you know, call it 2,500 and we drop to 2,200 and we see progress and we can be there for a few weeks and then eventually things stall, we're still not going to drop all the way down to 1,200. Maybe now we go to 2,000. So now 2,000 things are moving again. And now you've gone through, you know, you're down however many pounds and you're still eating 2000 calories and we're still nowhere near 1200. So, um, by making those small movements, you still allow yourself plenty of wriggle wiggle room. Um, if you start hitting cardio seven days a week, week one of your cut, like how are you going to increase from there? You know, so we want wiggle room. We have to start with as much wiggle room as possible so that when things do adapt, we're not immediately, you know, going to a dangerous place. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love things like, well, first of all, shortening the time frame that you're actually in that deficit and then utilizing yeah. diet breaks, maintenance weeks, refeed days, whatever yeah. you might, you know, to, to just make the process a little bit easier and more sustainable. Anything that we can do, um, like you said, it should be kind of the minimal effective dose. So let's, let's do yeah. what we can. And then when we have to like kick it up a notch, that's totally fine because to your point, we've got that runway to work with. We're, we're not just ripping off the bandaid right from the beginning. Um, well, this is, has been super helpful conversation. I'm so glad that uh, you were able to join. So why don't you let everybody know how they can continue to follow up with you and stay up to date on everything that you've got going on, especially in a couple months so we can all yeah. see, do you, know, do you know, you uh, <laughs> know, do you know gender? Do you know names, yeah, anything yeah. like that? We got, a, we got a little girl on the way. Names, <clears throat> names are still up for debate. My husband and I are just going to have to battle that out. It's going to come down to like a thumb war or a, a coin flip at some point. Okay. Um, so we're, we're still undecided on names, but we do know it's a girl. Um, and due date is September 30th. So um, end of September, which I mean, she could very well end up being an October baby. I'm, I'm hoping it stays in September, but we'll, we'll see. Um, in terms of where you can find me, I'm definitely most present on Instagram uh, at Joelle Samantha. Um, my coaching company is Level 10 Coaching. So that is on Instagram as well um, at Level 10 Coaching. Um, and so I'm mainly there. I'm not like cool enough for the TikTok people yet. I've tried a little, I've dabbled, I've dabbled in the, in the TikTok. Um, 
I just like Instagram a lot better. Um, I agree. Well, so if, if Rico if Rico has his way, we'll both be on TikTok. Oh, very soon. Oh, man. <laughs> Rico was like, so did you make a Reels this week? Did you upload it to TikTok this week? Did you la la la? I'm like, I appreciate the accountability. but um, And then any tech questions, I'm like, Rico, help. Rico, I, I when I started doing Reels, I'm like, I can't find any of my drafts. Where are they saved? Like, I cannot find the drafts. Where are they? Anyway, uh, yeah, if it, if, if it were up to Rico, we'd all have YouTube, podcasts, TikTok, Clubhouse, everything. We'd be on every platform everywhere. But as you know, all of which are very time consuming. Sure. I'm taking it one at a time. So um, yeah. I will we'll post all of that in the show notes so everybody can go give Joelle a follow. And, and I can just say from you know somebody that, as me personally, I don't consume a lot of content. I just... I keep my blinders on. I do my own thing, but um, your posts always stick out. You always have insightful things to share and say. So um, I can certainly vouch that everyone should go and follow Joelle on Instagram. Um, I will post all of that in the show notes. And uh, thank you. This was this was a great conversation. I'm so glad that we were able to do yeah. this. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And guys, if you do listen in, please like shoot me a DM. If anything I said resonated with you, I love to chat with you guys and hear from you. So shoot me a message. They're always open and uh, let me know that you listen in. And Mike, thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining.